Let us now turn for our scripture reading to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. Luke 19, we'll begin reading at uh, verse 28, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. When he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it, just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owner of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him, and were unable to do anything, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. <clears throat> Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the triumphal entry, as it is called, is recorded in all four Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, each providing additional uh, details so that we get a uh, uh, whole picture of what took place on that Palm Sunday. And certainly, uh, clearly, even by the repetition and the clarity and the fullness of this account, we are taught that this is a, cru- this is a crucially important event in the history of redemption. Interestingly, it's even yet recognized by the world. I have a calendar on, on my desk that I uh, bought from Staples, and uh, there's a little caption on this day saying, Palm Sunday, God still in his providence secures to himself a witness to the significance of the coming of Christ, even in national holidays and recognized observance that our will at word still pays a uh, kind of lip service to for whatever reason. But there it is. Why is it so important? Why is this account so significant? Because it shows how many people uh, believed in Jesus? Because it shows how many people loved him? Or because it shows how quickly a, a popular leader can fall into disfavor 
and uh, into a, a drastic change of circumstances or fortunes, if you will. You know that this took place just a few days before the crucifixion, from Sunday to Friday. On Sunday, the multitudes are extolling him and praising him. And on Friday, there was a multitude crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Could it be that there were members of both multitudes, the same events? But that timing is also very important for our understanding. But why is that? Why is that? Well, indeed, it is important to know that many prophecies were fulfilled on that Palm Sunday as Jesus entered Jerusalem, as was foretold. It's a fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. The detail is not given here, but uh, in Luke, but other Gospels uh, make reference to uh, this ancient prophecy. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Prophecy that was literally fulfilled in Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on that occasion. And then there's uh, the saying of the multitudes, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. It also is a quotation from Scripture, from a psalm that we sung earlier. Psalm 118, verse 26 is quoted here. But why is the timing also of these things so important? And what does it mean for us today? Well, we're going to consider the answer to that question. And basically, we're going to elaborate on our theme that Jesus must, must be extolled as king on his way to die. And first, we're going to consider that, indeed, he was extolled with a kind of unmistakable public testimony that was given to him on this occasion. And in verse 37, we read, Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. There's a reference to the whole multitude. In both Mark and in Matthew, we're told that there was a multitude that went before him and uh, a crowd that followed after. In fact, in the Gospel of John, we're given uh, a different and, and, and more details. In uh, John chapter 12, we're told that a great multitude that had come to the feast, a multitude that had come to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. And so there are those who follow Jesus from Mount Olivet, and there's a crowd that came from Jerusalem, and they all converged in this massive parade celebrating the Lord Jesus Christ. Waving palm branches, symbolic of victory, peace, often associated with kingly conquest. They testified in the language of Psalm 118, as we have already observed. And the psalm was one of those psalms that was traditionally sung at Passover. It's called a messianic psalm. And that means that it's a psalm that is clearly, explicitly about the Christ, the anointed one of God, who is promised in Scripture and who was to come 
according to the prophecies of God's word. In that same psalm, we, we hear these words that uh, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. That's one of the passages of the Old Testament that is most frequently quoted in the New Testament with reference to Jesus. He was that great stone by which God builds this spiritual temple, the church. But he was rejected by the Jewish leaders and the people. And yet he is exalted, the head of the cornerstone. Clearly a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the blessed one. He is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That is, he comes according to divine purpose, with authority, with grace. He is the king. We hear echoes also of Luke chapter 2, verse 14, the uh, announcement made by the angels at Jesus' birth, birth, where we read, Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. At his birth, the angels say, Peace on earth, glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth, peace in heaven, what is it? Well, it's both. There's no conflict. There's no contradiction because in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's reconciliation. There's peace. God and sinners reconciled. The end of enmity and hostility. Because in Christ, the way of salvation is accomplished. Matthew, Mark, and John also repeat other words that are found in Psalm 118, the word Hosanna, or O Lord, save, or save now. That's how it's actually translated in our version. Psalm 118, verse 25 says, save now. And indeed, in Jesus, the great God, our Savior, who saves, is revealed. He is the King of Israel. He's the King of David, or the Son of David. There are these different variations, and sometimes people will compare these accounts and say, well, what did they actually say, this or that? Well, there's such a fullness of this record to lead us to say that all these things were said by the disciples, by the multitude, using different language, referring to the prophecies of Scripture, all with variations extolling the greatness of this King who comes in the name of the Lord. They're all true. They're all glorious. They're all unmistakably clear on this one singular point, that this one who enters Jerusalem on this day in fulfillment of specific prophecies of scriptures is indeed the promised Christ of God. He is the Savior who has been prophesied for centuries. And now he is publicly declared in his true identity with an unmistakable testimony. And an unmistakable testimony that is given despite efforts to stop it. That leads us to look at verse 39, which says, And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your, your disciples. In other words, stop this display. Make them stop. Silence them. Do you hear what they're saying? Why the objection? Uh, were they concerned with national security? I mean, here's a great crowd of people. 
in an occupied Jerusalem under the uh, power of Rome, celebrating the coming of a great king. Was that the concern of the Pharisees? Actually, it's a it's an idea that they used when Jesus was tried before Pilate. And they used it not because they themselves believed that Jesus was, in fact, a threat to Roman uh, dominion, but they used it as a ploy to get him killed. Pilate himself knew that Jesus wasn't a, a king that posed any threat to the empire. He interrogated. He, he asked him about, about such claims. And Jesus testified that his kingdom was not of this world. Otherwise, his uh, disciples would fight. It's not an earthly kingdom. Yes, Pilate was was afraid of the rumor that might get around that he allowed a rival to Caesar. Remember the Jews cried out, we have no king but Caesar. As if uh, if Pilate were loyal to the emperor, well, then he would have Jesus killed because he's a great threat to Roman rule. It wasn't true at all. No, their objection was personal, you might say. Pilate himself, we're told that in in Mark 15, verse 10, Pilate knew that they handed Jesus over out of envy. The Jewish leaders considered him a threat to their position. They they considered him a threat to their status and the c- control that they exercised over uh, the religious life and thinking of the people. And they saw Jesus as a great rival to their position. And yet we must say that it goes yet deeper than that. Because what was what under was underneath these concerns was the fact that they simply did not believe the message of the disciples. They didn't believe the testimony of Scripture that it applied to Jesus, and so they were indignant. They were upset that such things were being said about this man, whom they despised. It's interesting that they appeal to Jesus himself as if they expected him to side with them to silence this testimony concerning who he was. Actually, we have something very, very similar. It's not recorded in Luke, but in Matthew's gospel, as the story continues there, and it describes how Jesus, when he entered into Jerusalem, he uh, he uh, threw out the buyers and sellers. That is recorded also in Luke. But we're also told in Matthew uh, that the children were crying out in the temple. When the chief priest and scribe saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. It's like the little ones. They heard mom and dad shouting these words of, Lord, save now. He is the son of David. Blessed is the king. And they joined in. And they said to Jesus, do you hear what these are saying? Again, as if they expected Jesus to stop them. But Jesus said, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise. It's like God ordained this little choir. It's the best choir. It's his favorite choir. These little children extolling the king. No, instead of backing down, Jesus doubles down, you might say. He is properly praised. He will not stop that praise. And that praise is absolutely necessary. 
by an irresistible necessity, we might say. And we hear that in verse 40. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now, this is a little detail that's only recorded in uh, the Gospel of Luke, in Luke's account of what was said and done on that occasion. The stones would immediately cry out. And scholars say that it appears that this may have been a kind of proverb that was spoken uh, to indicate something of the truth that sometimes is uh, expressed in what might be a common proverb among people. The truth will out, cannot be hidden, cannot be suppressed, it will come out. And this truth must be proclaimed by stones, if not by people. Why? Why would Jesus not rebuke the disciples at this occasion? Uh, was it because of some irrepressible enthusiasm that they were showing on this occasion? As if, well, these people are so worked up, I couldn't stop them if I wanted to. You know, if you read accounts of uh, great the Great Awakening, it's been called, there was a great uh, time of spiritual awakening, not only in the, uh, the New England uh, colonies, but in Scotland and in in Great Britain, the 1700s, 1730s, 1740s, on many occasions in congregations that had gathered for worship as the gospel would, was preached, people would be so profoundly affected that they would not only weep, but they would cry out, sometimes fall down. Sometimes the, the service would be disturbed by these displays of emotion. And the wise pastors of that time discouraged such displays and they tried to calm the people because they recognize that emotions can become merely natural and they can become a distraction and they can become a hindrance if they're just allowed to run wild and there's a kind of contagion that can take place when people all are stirred up emotionally and actually the history showed that those ministers that kind of encouraged that display well that display got worse and worse and Satan's hand got involved and it became a real hindrance and an obstacle to the spiritual benefits of what had been taking place. But on this occasion, there, there appears to be nothing wild or crazy going on. People aren't laughing or barking or rolling on the floor. They're just very joyful and they're speaking what is true. It wasn't because of irrepressible enthusiasm that Jesus refused to silence them. No, it was necessary that this testimony continue. And again, that doesn't mean that it was because everyone that was involved was compelled by a true faith. Even Jesus' own disciples did not fully understand what they were doing. And they didn't even realize that the scriptures were being fulfilled. Again, in John's gospel, we're told very, that very clearly. It says in verse 16 of chapter uh, <clears throat> chapter 12, his disciples did not understand these things at first. That is, with reference to Jesus entering Jerusalem on a colt in fulfillment of Zechariah. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. In other words, they were not deliberately, consciously fulfilling Scripture. They were compelled to do this by the circumstances, by a divine necessity that involved them. No doubt many were simply caught up in the moment. No doubt many 
among the multitude anticipated uh, an earthly kingdom, a real rival to Rome that would appear by this miracle worker. Think how he could feed armies if he could feed thousands of people by multiplying bread. Could solve all the logistics problems of armies on the march. And no doubt many expected and anticipated that the idea of the, of the, of the kingdom of David would reappear in its military conquest and in its uh, earthly glory. And maybe that's, that disappointed, disappointment led them to turn against the Savior. They were praising a miracle worker and that praise for many may indeed have turned to rejection. No, Jesus was extolled as king by a divine necessity. Jesus was intentionally fulfilling scripture. In Matthew's account in the 21st chapter, we read in verse uh, verse 4, all this was done, and there it refers back to the fact that Jesus arranged for this colt to be untied uh, from the house of a, a stranger, perhaps, and that this colt would be brought to him, and that he would ride upon this colt. And it says, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. All these things, these things that Jesus did, these things that Jesus orchestrated, We see his control over these events. We see his control over people. You know, we're left to wonder, did Jesus somehow make arrangements with this man that someone would come and take his colt? And, uh, and so when, uh, the disciples said, the Lord has need of him. Oh yes, now I remember. Okay. (laughs) Probably not. Probably it's an instance again of, of Christ's sovereignty over these events and even over the minds of people. Certainly he showed his sovereign power over this unbroken animal that submitted to being ridden by the king on this occasion, though he had never been ridden before. It was according to divine purpose that before his death, Jesus should be proclaimed and hailed as king, as the Christ of God, according to the scriptures. And that means that the time for any secrecy was over, right? How many instances do we have in the Gospels where Jesus performed a miracle and then he told the, the subjects of this miraculous power, don't, don't tell anybody, don't spread it abroad. Because his hour had not yet come. And it was not yet time to, in a sense, provoke the kind of opposition that would lead to his crucifixion. The time for any such reserve, any time, the time for such secrecy was over. His death was going to be public. Yes, indeed. He would not be assassinated in the dark in an alley. He wouldn't be secretly carried off and murdered. His death would be public. But first, the one who would be crucified must be publicly confessed and praised. Yes, an unreasoning beast would submit to the king and crowds would unknowingly proclaim him as such. And if necessary, dead stones would fill any silence about it because he must be praised. There's an irresistible necessity about it. And then finally, to give a kind of explanation as to why it's not a a specific point in your bulletin, but it's really the kind of application to 
the reason for this necessity. It goes like this. To compel sinners to receive Christ as their king. Certainly there is a rebuke to unbelief in Jesus' words to the Pharisees there in verse 40 where he said, if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Because when it comes to the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, silence, a failure to confess him, a failure to praise him is utterly inexcusable. You see, what that means is that when people hear about Jesus, when they hear about the one whom God had promised from the beginning to save people from sin and misery, everyone who hears about the Lord Jesus upon hearing about him is immediately obligated to believe in him, is immediately obligated to put their trust in him, is immediately obligated to worship him. Follow him. To praise him. You see, if we deny that, we would, we have to accept the fact that, well, God's revelation is not clear. And it really, it's really left up to people's intelligence and their own, their own decisions and their own will to decide whether or not this revelation is adequate for them. No, no, no. The Bible gives no such suggestion. The message of the Lord Jesus Christ is a revelation of God. And that means that those who hear indeed are obligated to respond in faith. A faith that leads to worship and praise and service. If you're here this morning as an unbeliever, God calls you. God even commands you to repent and believe in his son, Jesus Christ. He's the only savior. He's the only way you'll ever receive the forgiveness of sins. He's the only way in which you'll ever be able to appear before the judgment seat of God, of Christ himself, and not be condemned. And if you do not, and if you do not praise him, you will be the loser for it, not him. Oh, he will be praised. In fact, the whole world will be compelled to bow to him and confess that he is Lord, to the glory of God, the Father. But those who do not do so in response to the message of Christ, they will be constrained to do so as those who cannot escape the reality of Christ the Lord, the King and Judge, or escape the consequences of failing to acknowledge him when they had the opportunity. What that means, brothers and sisters, is that to fail to praise and believe in this Christ who is revealed is to refuse the obvious. In a way, you might say it is to expose man as the criminal of all creation. The heavens themselves declare the glory of God. Inanimate stones would cry out. Often in the book of Deuteronomy, heaven and earth are are called to bear witness to the evil of unbelief. That's figurative language, but in a way it's a testimony to the fact that God's revelation is so clear, so compelling, that creation itself testifies on God's behalf, leaving people without excuse. But in that connection, we see that this revelation of the king is a gracious witness. It's a gracious witness to all. A witness to the fact that the one who died as the rejected king is indeed God's provision for sinners. Hosanna, the people cried. Oh, Lord, save. Save now. And actually, 
That's just exactly what Jesus was going to do. Not to save from political tyranny. He was to save sinners from condemnation and judgment. He was going to shed his blood, not as a victim under the power of Rome, but as a willing sacrifice foretold in Scripture, who would give his life as a ransom for many. And he wanted that clear testimony of his identity as the background to the wonder of the grace revealed in his death. His death was not some disruption of his plans for the kingdom. His death was not some disappointment. It was the fulfillment of, of his very name, right? Remember the message of the angel to Joseph? You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Oh, Lord, save. If you're not a Christian this morning, say, Oh, Lord, save me. Be merciful to me. Call upon him with a realization of your sin and need. And he will hear you. He'll answer you. He'll deliver you from the guilt and condemnation of sin. Give you new life. A new reason to rejoice. To join the choir. To join the choir we heard about even in our, our call to worship this morning. Where it says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation. His righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song, rejoice and sing praises. Sing to the Lord with the harp, with the harp, the sound of psalm, with trumpets and a sound of a horn. Shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. And then listen to this. Let the sea roar in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord. Let all creation join in in extolling the glory of the King who is the Savior. For He is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. With righteousness he shall judge the world and the peoples with equity. And we can rejoice that this one who will appear as judge is the very one who gave his life for us. So that we may know there is no condemnation for us. There is no condemnation for any who put their trust in this great king. Kiss the son lest he be angry. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Amen.